Connecting life and faith. This is Connections. The visual that inspired this book is this difference between being a weed or being a flower or being a tree. And, you know, weeds can, you can go to bed and wake up the next morning and the whole yard's covered in dandelions. Or you can go to bed and wake up and there's a five foot tall, feels like overnight, you know, weed in your in your backyard or in the field behind your trailer when you're growing up, for example. And in those moments, it can be very tempting to want to swap stories, to swap storylines and say, I want to grow like a weed. I want to grow with dizzying speed and to dizzying height. But I think anybody who's ever, you know, popped a weed out of the ground with like the slightest pull and you see, an, you know, half an inch of roots is all that it's standing on. You realize that that kind of surface growth uh, is not what's going to last because it gets knocked over with the first push. Um, and then you have flowers, which can create a thing of beauty for a year or even year after year. But it's just, there's nothing wrong with creating beauty. The world needs more beauty, but it's just that for all of us, I want something more. And when I think of that, I think of trees because they can grow taller than any weed. They are a thing of beauty in and of themselves, but they are not satisfied with being merely that. They want to bear fruit that can be given away. They want to be shade and shelter for others. And so that is what I want for all of us. When gold stars, highlight reels, and seeking approval from strangers on the internet are not enough, Mary Morantz gives you permission to stop running. In her new, unique, powerful devotional filled with stunning photography, she shows you how to move from achieving, striving, and performing for your worth to the grace, freedom, and purpose that come from knowing your identity and calling are determined by God. The title of her book is Slow Growth Equals Strong Roots. Today in Connection, she's going to talk a little bit about that book. She's also going to share a little bit about her journey and how she has managed to get to where she is today. Our guest today is Mary Morantz. She is an author, a podcast host, and a speaker. You have an incredible story. And for some of our listeners, they're not going to know who you are, and they're not going to know that background story. So we just want to get to know you a little bit better. Tell us a little bit about your childhood and growing up? Yeah, so I grew up on the top of a mountain called Fenwick Mountain in rural West Virginia, kind of southern West Virginia. And I grew up uh, in the 80s in a single wide trailer. My dad is a logger. My mom and grandma cleaned houses. Um, And we are actually, our family has been in the logging business or the, you know, just the logging craft for about, we think about eight generations back. We have some of like the earliest, you know, photography um, in the like, you know, 1800s, we have photos of relatives, you know, ancestors in camps at at logging camps in West Virginia. And so, um, you know, I I grew up there, I was a little girl there, and I was there until I graduated high school. And you fast forward a little bit, and I eventually go to Yale for law school, which is not um, a usual (laughs) outcome, I would say. And to a certain extent, I feel like we have maybe heard that story before, right? We've seen that movie of like humble beginnings to the Ivy League. That's, that is a story that's been told a lot of different ways. Um, so maybe it does happen, you know, uh, more often. And for me, you know, it's sort of like you, you reach this point where you're like, this is my story. And I have felt like I'm supposed to tell it my whole life. And there, I think most people listening, who feel like they have a story in them to tell one of the first ways that an enemy will attack that fear will try to attack is to say, who's going to care. It's already been done. It's already been done better. And so um, I had to look at that and go, even if on the surface, humble to Yale law has been told before, 
what does it look like for me to tell the truth here? What does it look like for me to bring something different to the table? And so I really tried to tell that story through the eyes of grace and through redemption and for a family to actually be healed and brought closer together through telling a story like that versus estrangement. What was that like for you, you know, going from those humble beginnings and transitioning into this, you know, person who has become very successful. I know that you say that even during that time, you still felt like, Hey, ah, this isn't enough because like you said, Oh, this has been done before, but no, it's not. It's, it's huge. Yeah. You know, um, my first book dirt itself is actually divided into two parts the girl in the trailer and the girl after the trailer. And throughout the book, I am using imagery that sort of talks about like the very opening prologue talks about how both of them showed up in the hospital room with my dad, the girl in the trailer, the girl after, and they could hear the nurses at the station in the hallway and their accents sounded both foreign and familiar at the same time. Like the two different versions of me couldn't agree on which one it was. And so to a certain extent, Um, for a lot of my life, it felt like they were two, they needed to stay two distinct entities. There needed to be this girl who was the girl from the trailer and then this woman after. And that woman was almost trying to run away from that little girl version because she felt like she disqualified her. Or at the very least, she was like dragging her by the hand behind her, so busy trying to get her to safety that she never paused to actually lean down and look her in the face and say, I'm sorry, you know, for the hard things that have happened. And um, I think, you know, I do feel like you carry these versions with you and, and they can feel like they're haunting you and following you in ways that um, you'd rather hide. So I talk about going to Yale and feeling like the, you know, smell of mildew and dollar store perfume, vanilla perfume preceding me in the hallway or, Oh gosh, look, I finally could get the same J. Crew cardigan everybody else has. And, and I thought it would change everything, you know, like wave a wand and you're suddenly a different person. But I say I was just me, but me in a itchy gray sweater and like clawing at your skin. Like it didn't fit. So I feel like there, there is, you know, in a lot of ways, dirt is the love letter to the girl in the trailer. And my new book, Slow Growth Equals Strong Roots, is a love letter to the woman after this girl after the trailer. Because there are so many of us, so many people I bet listening right now who know you have run and run and run from your story so hard that you stumbled into success and you felt like you had to build a beautiful life in order to feel safe. And none of it has ever felt like enough. The book title, Slow Growth Equals Strong Roots. What can be more powerful than that when you really sit there and you take that in? Slow growth, slow growth. Well, most of us think slow growth, I don't have time for this. I don't have time for this. I need to be successful. I need to be successful right now. Yeah. Oh, a hundred percent. And let us be clear. If we feel that way, it is because the world rewards overnight success, right? How many people do you see on Instagram talking about their six or seven figure business that they built in one year? And it's this fleeting currency of more of this, how fast, how much, how many, and there's one of my favorite entries in Slow Growth, and, and it's in many ways the inspiration for the book. The title itself, the real inspiration for the book, my husband said to me 15 years ago, uh, as we started our business, I graduated law school and we decided to start a photography business instead, because that's something that's normal. <laughs> um, and I was frustrated that 
I saw all these people, it felt like we're cutting corners or they weren't focused on excellence like we were. And they were just, you know, popping up out of nowhere. And he said to me, slow growth equals strong roots. And maybe we're growing on a, a different kind of timeline than they are different. There's a, a longevity here. We're building something to last. Um, but the, the vision, like the visual that inspired this book is this difference between being a weed or being a flower or being a tree and, you know, weeds, can you can go to bed and wake up the next morning and the whole yard's covered in dandelions or you can go to bed and wake up and there's a five foot tall feels like overnight you know weed in your in your backyard or in the field behind your trailer when you're growing up for example and in those moments it can be very tempting to want to swap stories to swap storylines and say I want to grow like a weed I want to grow with dizzying speed into dizzying height but I think anybody who's ever you know popped a weed out of the ground with like the slightest pull and you see, you know, half an inch of roots is all that it's standing on. You realize that that kind of surface growth uh, is not what's going to last because it gets knocked over with the first push. Um, And then you have flowers, which can create a thing of beauty for a year or even year after year. But it's just, there's nothing wrong with creating beauty. The world needs more beauty, but it's just that for all of us, I want something more. And when I think of that, I think of trees because they can grow taller than any weed. They are a thing of beauty in and of themselves, but they are not satisfied with being merely that they want to bear fruit that can be given away. They want to be shade and shelter for others. I think of that line of like the wisest men in society will plant trees. They can never sit under. And so that is what I want for all of us. And that choice requires us to embrace patience and to embrace knowing that when you zoom out, you'll see that had you been granted that wish, that weed is come and gone, but a tree lasts and lasts. It also takes embracing God. Yes, a hundred percent, right? Like we think, we think of these things that we can see this flourishing on the surface and we think you've forgotten me, God. I, I often like, I wonder if like the trees sitting over there, like this little sapling that's hardly, you know, anywhere close to what it's going to be, this giant that it will one day be looking at the grass around it, at these weeds, just multiplying and multiplying and thinking, God, why have you forgotten me? Why can't I grow like them? Why can't I, why don't you want to multiply what I'm doing? Have I done something wrong? And when we add in that variable of time, one of my favorite pages in slow growth, there's they took some quotes, uh, William Overbeek, who did the design, and he turned them into these incredible typography pages. And one of them says, here's this God with infinite now power who somehow fell in love with how with this process over time that we're looking at the very first scene and thinking it's, you know, this very first like fragment and thinking it's our whole life sentence, a tiny bit of the chapter and thinking it's our whole story. And if we had been granted the wish to swap places, you know, Freaky Friday, (laughs) man, what we would miss out on the purpose and the calling and this chance to walk among the giants when you are willing to take your time. And so when we add in that variable of time, when we zoom out and see the full timeline, we can see God was not forgetting us. He was preparing us. And what a gift it is, because for me, the time, the very second I realized the preparation and the refinement in my character meant more to me than getting what I wanted right away. I knew that at 40, 40, 41, 42 years old, um, wisdom was finally starting to set in. You know, I think that's wisdom to say, I'll take the refinement. I'll take the character over just the surface. Speaking of callings, you mentioned callings there. We will quite often forget that 
God has a calling for us. We don't always hear it. We don't always know what it is. We don't even know if we're going down the right path. But like you said, if you take that time, you step back. Mm. You may actually go down that road. Oh, my gosh. Oh, my gosh. Like, I, I think one of the biggest things we do is discount the gifts we've been given. I think we think, well, if I can do it, if it's easy to me, if it comes naturally to me, then it must come naturally to everyone. And to go along with that, that one, I think we, we sort of know that. We sort of talk about that. The other one, though, that is even equally important, if not more important, is that we often discount the story because it feels messy and full of mistakes and wrong turns and the long way around. And we think this story is a mistake. The story disqualifies me. But I, you know, when I realize like dirt does not happen without both of those things, the gifts I've been given with words and then the, this actual story, take away either one of those. And it's just talking for the sake of talking and take away, you know, it's like, I think of like, it's like a clinging symbol, right? Take away doing it for the love of putting it out into the world to serve others. And it's just a clinging symbol. And so I say in the book, the place where your gifts meet your story has the power to change lives, most of all yours. So I wrote this book and it's for this woman who's always performing. There are these ballerinas all the way throughout and a masked woman, a contortionist. But I also say I wrote it for the woman who is afraid to start this woman who knows she's being called higher, but all of those things we talked about earlier, who's going to care. It's all been done. It's already been done. I can't do it till it's perfect. I can't do it until I know every step they're keeping her stuck because it's keeping her focused on inwardly. Who's going to criticize it versus outwardly. Who could it help? How do you get past that point? How did you get past all of this in your own journey? Yeah. So one of the, I have a podcast as well as the book called the Mary Moran show. And one of the very first episodes I released is titled why I almost never wrote the book. And at that time it's talking about my first book dirt. And, you know, I put off and put off and put off even starting on it until I was uh, like 36, 37, even like the proposal stage. And then I was on a podcast and an agent heard me and I got an agent. And then I signed a two-year deal with the agent and it was like, one year and 11 months. I still hadn't gotten around to writing this proposal because you talk yourself out of doing the things that you know you can't go a day without thinking about. And you think if it's not perfect, if it's not, I can't sit down and start to finish, write out the perfect book, then it's going to get rejected. And so finally I got scared, more scared of losing the chance than what if it went wrong. And that's the only thing that got me started there. But what I tell people now is truly when you can let that weight fall off your shoulders, when you can really let it soak into your soul, that it is not, you are, it's not depending on you to hold the whole world together. And it is certainly not depending on you to be perfect. All you are being asked to do is to show up. My, the ultimate guiding advice line out of this book, I talk about, I get spiritual amnesia and I forget this over and over. And God in his grace keeps reminding me the use of my gifts in service to others for your ultimate glory for the rest of my life. That's it. If every day I show up and I go, what do you have for me today? God here, humbly open-handed, not clenching this fist, trying to control it is what I can bring to the table. Here's how I think this could help other people. Then day by day, God will show you the plan he has for that. So I think it just starts with saying, can I get over this navel gazing, looking inward of who might have something to say about it. And instead fix my eyes on who could be helped. If we can continue to come back to that, then day by day, we find our way forward. 
It brings it all back to God again. Yeah. It's so important at the end of the day to bring it back to God. That's right. Yeah. What about those overachievers who just keep going, going, going because they want to be seen, 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 seen. But then at the end of the day, they are so exhausted. Yeah. How do we get them to change and, uh, you know, get on the same path to the yeah. slow growth? Yes. So at the very beginning of the book, this is a really interesting fact. I think um, I finished dirt and one of the very last passages in dirt. It's one of my favorites. I'll, t- I'll talk about that in a second. And I thought, okay, good. We're done. This was a story about a journey of making peace with your past and we're there and there's empathy and there's grace. And, you know, how does God see the story? And we're there, we're done. And like, no sooner had we like finished that book and sent it off. And I was like, oh, we're actually only like halfway there. Right. And and when you think about the hero's journey, which is like this 12 step uh, characterization of most stories with like this hero's uh, adventure, there's a point that's like basically like the point of no return. It's when they've gone far enough that they can't go back. And so finishing dirt was really just me crossing the threshold of like that point of no return. And I had to see the rest of the journey through, which was not only do you have to make peace with your past, but you have to make sure that your past isn't keeping your present captive, that you aren't continuing to make decisions because you're simply trying to outrun things that have already happened. Um, and so that passage in dirt that becomes what I say, this is our inciting incident uh, in this book. There's actually a spread that says the inciting incident is this passage that goes at a certain point, you stop running breathless and at last exhausted. You double over at the pain of a lifetime spent proving you have run so hard for so long. You've gone so far out into the world only to find yourself back at the beginning This one truth, always clawing, always ripping at your heels, like these chains you never asked to bear, no matter how hard you run, you can't outrun you. Our inciting incident is this, breathless and at last exhausted. And so to answer your question, that woman, I I lovingly call her the woman always performing or the most put together woman in the room, even though she would never self-identify as that. It's just how other people see her because she feels like if she walks in without a hair out of place, People will see right through her. She'll be disqualified from most rooms and most tables. That woman doesn't begin to get free of this journey until she has reached this point of at last exhausted. She's had to, to a certain extent, experience it for herself. It's kind of like burnout with business owners. You have to experience it for yourself that you have checked that box and checked that box and gotten that gold star and had that highlight real moment. And the window of celebration gets shorter and shorter. It stops feeling like joy or true happiness. And any, the best you can hope to feel is numb for just a little while. It silences these screaming nerve endings for just a little while. And that, that for the woman listening right now, and you're like, oh, yeah, right. I have checked that box and checked that box and checked that box. I have the house. I have the dogs, whatever the case may be. I have this life I've dreamed of. And all I'm feeling is numb. Every, every new thing I add to the plate just feels like a sugary, sweet high. It's like marshmallow, but I wonder why I'm starving. If you're starting to realize that, then you're ready for this journey because you have to, you have to, you know, if I can say to you, oh, it's never going to be enough. That's never going to sink in the way it will. When you actually start to say, you're right. I have tried. It's never been enough. I still feel, I checked, I did a reel on Instagram that was like, I grew up here. I went to Yale. We started a business. We went on tour. We had, we were named all these awards. I signed a book deal for five books, all this stuff. And it was never enough. I still, I still never felt like enough. 
that's actually where this journey begins, right? An inciting incident is a plot point or moment that kicks off a journey for our protagonist that will hopefully leave her utterly and forever changed by the end. And for us, that's at last exhausted. In your book, you also talk about the wolf. The wolf, yes. Okay, we can talk about <laughs> all day, all day. So, <laughs> in dirt, to try to like put words to how, because that was really important for me, for people to understand. Sometimes people go, you grew up without a lot and you went to Yale Law School. Cool. So the only side effect of that was success. Got it. But what I wanted people to know is that success is not the side effect of that kind of struggle in your story. The side effect, the whole dang disease, I say in slow growth, is not knowing how to stop. I wanted people to know how primal and visceral and survival, like like oxygen, like we don't know how to breathe. If we go too long without another mark on our list, we, we, it feels like we can't breathe. And so I describe that as this girl in the red cape escaping her way out of the deep, dark woods, scratching and clawing her way, leaving these, you know, as the branches clawed her, leaving these breadcrumbs uh, behind her. And she's feeling this big bad wolf ripping at her heels. She knows if she stops, it just might kill her. But at a certain moment, breathless and wild eyed, I look back over my shoulder and I finally see it. I am the girl in the red cape. I've been her my whole life but I'm also the wolf. And that voice in my head telling me to run and not stop running, it will never be safe for me to stop. That voice is my own. And so in slow growth, we, in one of my absolute, I feel like I've said all of them are my favorite entries. I I really, I love them. Little, you know, babies, each chapter. Um, But this one is truly like all the way up there of favorite, favorite entries. And we revisit that scene this time from the perspective of the wolf. It says, you know, I'm chasing, always chasing close behind and closing in fast. This version of me up ahead, I was born to protect. And when I lose her again in the distance, it breaks my heart. I've chased her away yet again. And it's talking about with every, with every pounding of the paw on the pavement, there's pain that this animal is not evil. This animal is wounded. And, and the the whole entry talks about how we, as the girl in the red cape have learned how to cage that wild animal and make it dance in our circus show where we always get to be the high wire act. And when it won't run, like we want it to, because if it's not chasing us, we don't know how to keep moving forward. We know the right pressure points to hit. We know how to twist our thumbs into these wide open wounds and it's paws, but we, we start to notice that when it's roaring in pain, our throats are the ones that are raw and our palms are the ones that are bleeding. And so it's this idea of there's been this like splintering of ourselves, these different versions of us we became in order to survive. And if we want to make peace with that, if we want to free the, our present from our past, we have to find a way to bring them back together. And so each chapter ends in a prayer. And in that prayer, I'm talking about what I picture now with freedom is the littlest Mary, the grown up Mary and the wolf. And they're in these wide open spacious fields, this green pasture where they've been brought to rest. They're at peace. They're playing. And each one of them simultaneously can feel God's light pouring into these wounds where they experience healing simultaneously. Um, So that's the wolf. I can see why every single chapter, every single <laughs> everything is your favorite because everything speaks to women out there, especially women nowadays, because we are living in a different time where you are judged in so many different ways in social media, online. Like it's just chaos. It's absolute chaos for our listeners that want to learn more about you. We obviously would love to talk to you longer, but don't have the time. 
So our listeners, I want to learn more about you. Want to pick up your book, Slow Growth Equals Strong Roots, Finding Grace, Freedom, and Purpose in an Overwhelming World. How can they go about doing that? Yeah, so a really fun place to maybe start is we actually put together a quiz based on these characters I introduced throughout the book, the performer, the tightrope walker, the illusionist in the distance, the masquerader, and the contortionist that are all these different um, you know, sides of the woman always performing. And, and which one you are determines how you go after goals, why you go after goals, and why you get stuck and tripped up in that afraid to start place. And so you can actually find that at marymorantz.com slash quiz, or you can also go to achieverquiz.com. That'll take you to the same place. And then from there, once you take the quiz and find out which type you are, you can go to slowgrowthequalsstrongroots.com or marymorantz.com slash slowgrowth, and it will take you to the page for the book. You can check it out, or it's available anywhere books are sold. Thank you so much for your insight, for everything that you shared with us today. Thank you for having me. And thank you so much for joining us and for listening. Don't forget to subscribe. We'll talk to you again on Connections.